you want to take your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Last week we did our first part in verses 1 through 8. So that means today is part 2. And that is what we're going to do. Last week we saw Paul's appeal to the church here uh, to focus on prayer and specifically public prayer. And in the public prayer to be praying for the lost. To be praying for those who do not know Christ. And this does need to be a, a focus of our public prayer. Uh, even our individual prayer as well. I hope maybe you had some time this week to pray. And to focus some of that time on those around you. Who don't know Christ. Never been saved by his grace. That God would open their eyes to that, to that truth. And so Paul continues on. And still in this little section there's more than just prayer. And I want to look at that this morning, specifically verses 5 and 6 is where we will spend uh, most, of our, most of our time here. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention, though, about prayer before we read this again, is we need to remember that when we pray, what God has given us prayer for isn't for God. Our prayer isn't uh, something God has given us to control Him in some way like a puppet. Instead, what prayer is, and especially public prayer, as we stand here and we, we pray together, God uses that to align us to him, to help us to be focused on his will be done, not ours, to remember why we're here. And so as Paul is appealing to this church family saying, pray for the lost, he's helping align that church to say, remember one of your purposes Remember why you are gathered. Remember what God has called you to do as a church, to be, to be sharing with the lost, that there's people out there who do not understand what hope is. There's people out there that do not understand what real peace is. There's people who don't understand what real security is and where that can be found. And so as we pray together for the lost, our hearts should be aligned together, focused on the will of God. And that would be what it says in verse 4, who desires all people to be saved. And this should be our desire as well. So let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 8 again. And like I said, we'll be focusing mostly on verses 5 and 6 this morning. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Like I said, I want to spend most of our time this morning on verses 5 and 6, and specifically, really two words, but mostly the one word, mediator. Paul says a, a big statement here in verse 5 that's important for us, and I want us to grasp it today. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus. Now this is, this is a statement that would not sit well in our society to look at people and say, listen, there's only one God. Well, that already upsets some people, doesn't it? Saying there's only one God. And then, by the way, there's also only one mediator between God and man. And that is specifically Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other mediation. There's no other, no other way to uh, have a relationship with God other than Christ. I think you know this, that that doesn't sit well with many people today. We want to have many ways. We want to be appeasing uh, to whatever people feel or whatever they might say. But Paul tells us something very different in verse 5. And that's why I want us to understand what's being said here. And I, I think it's important for, uh, an, enough for us to have a whole message on it this morning. <clears throat> the first question I think we need to ask is, what is a mediator? If you look in the dictionary, it would say, a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. A go-between. And so what you have is you have the job of a mediator is to be a neutral party, most of the time, that's what it should be, uh, for both parties. And the goal is reconciliation of some sort. Now, maybe in your high school days, you had some sort of argument with a friend of yours, and some poor sap of your other friend had to mediate between the two of you. <clears throat> and they would try their best to solve the differences of whatever it might have been, but whenever they would side a little bit with your other friend, you would say something like, you're just on his side, or you're on her side. You're not neutral here, right? You like her more than you like me, and we would have this frustration. Uh, maybe you've experienced where you were the mediator, and you hated this because it was no win for you, right? It'd be frustrating because you'd say, well, if I say this, they're going to be mad. If I say this, they're going to be mad, and they're both my friends, and I don't want them to be mad at me. And you've suffered through that role of mediation. Now, in our culture today, one of the ways that we see this played out the most, sadly, is in divorce cases. When you have a man and a woman who decide they do not want to be married anymore for whatever reason, they would sometimes seek out a mediator. And the job of this mediator, sadly, isn't reconciliation, but they are just to mediate who gets what. How to separate the easiest and how to divide the things and to avoid court if at all possible. As I said, this normally does not involve any sort of reconciliation, but it solves the problem at hand of how are we going to divide what we've acquired together. Probably not an easy position to fill in our, in our world of doing that. There's probably a lot of sorrow and a lot of sadness but you see the point of that mediator there because <clears throat> oftentimes in those cases, the two can't do it together because they're going to favor themselves. And so a mediation has to take place. And we have this word here in Scripture of mediator, that Christ is our mediator. And the question would arise then is why do we need a mediator? If this is what a, a mediator does, if it's a, a neutral party, a, a go-between between two people uh, to have some sort of reconciliation, then what is my need for a mediator? Why would Paul bring this up? You might think, I don't have anything wrong with God. I don't have any problem with him. He's cool to me. You know, maybe that's the position that you find yourself this morning. 
But the Bible really gives us one word of why we need a mediator, and that one word is sin. Because of sin, there is a separation between God and man, and as a result, there needs to be mediation. It needs to be fixed. It needs to be repaired. You see, when God created everything in Genesis, you can go and look at this on your own in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. When God creates everything, he says everything is good. Everything's good. All, all things that he created was good. And man and us, were, we were part of that. We are part of this good creation. Now, God did, though, give some rules to follow. And many of you know this. In the garden, there was a rule. Do not eat of this one tree. The fruit of this one tree. Do not partake of it. Do not eat of it. Well, man decided that they knew better and went and ate of the tree. Disobeyed. And so sin entered the world when man chose to disobey God and to eat of that tree anyway. And so sin having entered the world as a result, ever since then, man has this sin nature in them inclined away from God, inclined to sin, inclined to rebel. In fact, that's what it tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. It tells us that we are actually rebellious against God, and that would be all of us this morning. I want to read it for you. I said Romans 1, 18 to 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, oftentimes when we good church folk go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, I think we set our minds on the people outside of these walls. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, as I read Romans 1, 18 to 23, I think it really speaks to us. Because there are people out there who do not know God, they don't even think about it, but yet we would say we know God. That he's shown us himself in his word and that it is clearly visible to us that God is who he says he is and that he has sent Christ as our Savior. Yet there are times when we look at his word and we look at what he calls us to do and we say, you know what, I got a better plan. And so if you really want to acquire, uh, attribute fault to somebody, it's easy for us to attribute fault to those people outside. But what about us inside who know? Because that's kind of what's being talked about here with Paul. He says it's, it's clear to them, it's plain to them. It's plain to us, but yet still we often sin, don't we? And that's because we have this rebellious nature in our life. Sin has turned us away from God and has caused us to be lovers of the created, this world, rather than the one who created it. Right? We, we love the things of this world and, and we, we feel that within us, don't we? This is one of our big problems. We struggle having a relationship with God because we put what he's created in front of him too often. 
definitely for the non-Christian, but also for us as Christians as well. It's something I feel all the time, if I'm, if I'm being honest. There's things that I love in this world, and I think it's a good thing to love. I, I think God created this, and he's called it good, and there are things that we should enjoy, and we shouldn't feel guilty for enjoying the things that God has given us in his world. Some of you like to travel. You shouldn't feel guilty for traveling and seeing the beauty of this world that God has created. It's a beautiful thing for us to enjoy. He's given us relationships, and that's something that we should enjoy is the relationships that God allows us to have, that, that he created. There's hobbies and different things that I'm sure you like to do that are not sinful. You, and, you enjoy being a part of those. I have those too. But I see how easy it is for me to start loving those things more than I love God. Is this you too? No, none of you. You guys are just looking at me like, gosh, you're horrible. That's how you're looking at me right now. I, I love sports. I love basketball in particular. I spent, let's see, what was my week? I spent, uh, I spent a lot of days in a gym this week at games. I think I saw five of them this week. And there's something about those games that just bubbles inside of me to yell at times and to say things that then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought this way. Or I have to remind myself, this girl is in seventh grade and you're really mad at her right now. Right? I have to remind myself of these things. Like it's not that important. But I can see how it bubbles inside of me where this sinful nature, this rebellion against God will start to play out because I love the things that are created rather than the creator. And so I can see how in this Romans 1 passage, I can see myself in it. And it reminds me how sin has turned me away from God, how it can drive me away from him. And that because of that, there's some sort of restoration that needs to take place. Sin has caused a disruption between me and God, and it's my fault because it's my sin. It's not his sin. It's my sin. It's my fault. And so the restoration really should come from me. I should be the one to fix it. I should be the one to solve it. I should be the one who goes to God and says, God, okay, I, made a pro- I did a problem here. I- I've done something. What should I do to solve it? But the problem is, when we look at God's word, I've already messed it up too much. There's no solving it. The answer was, Tim, I told you not to eat of the fruit. You ate of it. I told you not to sin, and you've sinned. It can't be fixed. There's nothing that you can do. So then I stand there in a hopeless state. You see, when God gave the law to Israel and to Moses, I'm not sure how long it it took them to realize they were sinners. But it was pretty quick. Because when Moses comes down from the mountain to give them the law, what are they doing? They're worshiping a calf. And they're already sinning. They haven't even saw it yet. And Moses comes down and you, you, you got to think of it. He looks on the people and he's like, well, this is a waste of time. We've already messed up. We've already fallen short. We already figured out we cannot do it. And so what we see throughout scripture 
is that God has provided mediators for his people, even in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we see three main forms of mediators between God and man. It's the role of the prophet, the priest, and the king. God would give the people prophets. These prophets would speak to the people the words of God that God would tell them. And so they would mediate between the people and God. That he gave them priests. A priest would fulfill God's law through sacrifices and through intercession, making prayers for the people. This was the role of the priest so that they would mediate on behalf of the people to God. And then we have the king. The kings that Israel would have would be the forerunners of Jesus, the true king. But the, the king would lead the people and would take care of them and would try to nurture them and would try to point them to the word of God. At least that's what they were supposed to do. And so God in his kindness gave the people mediators, even in the Old Testament. The one I want to focus on here briefly is the priestly role. Because this is probably the most thought about mediator in the Old Testament. And the way that God had set up for Israel to settle their dispute with him was what I had said already, the sacrificial system. Sin equals death. That's what the Bible tells us. And so therefore, blood had to be spilt for sin to be forgiven. And it was the priests who made sure that this happened. It was the priests who were given the task and the role to make sure that these sacrifices would take place. And so daily in the temple... The priests would be doing the things that God had prescribed to them on behalf of the people. You see, normal people like you and I who wouldn't have been priests, we wouldn't be doing these things. But the priests would be doing it for us. They would be mediating on our behalf day in and day out. And especially this would be seen in the sacrifices, in the animal sacrifices. And this was a way for the priests to mediate for the people and for God. And so the people would sin, whatever it might be. They would go to the law and they would know, well, today what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to kill a goat or I'm supposed to kill uh, these birds or, or whatever it would be, whatever the sacrifices would be. And they would take this to the priest who would make sure that everything was being done right and then the priest would do the action. And then they would say, well, according to the law now, you've been forgiven. You see, the people couldn't do that on their own. They couldn't make the sacrifice on their own. They had to go through the priest because there had to be a mediator between God and between man. And the priest would step into that role. Well, as we get to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul tells us that now there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, and that it's changed. It's not priests that we go to. It's one man, Jesus He says it very clearly, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so the picture that we have here is God the Father placing all the work of mediation on the shoulders of his son Jesus. Now remember, we are the ones who sinned. It should be me who has to figure out how to solve this problem. But instead, what God has done in his grace is he has solved this problem through the mediation of his son, Jesus. And this was the plan all along, scripture tells us. It was was never hidden. This was always the plan. The sacrifices of the Old Testament, all the goats, all the bulls, all these sacrifices, all of this blood, all along was pointing to the one Jesus who had shed his blood once and for all, as it tells us in Hebrews. 
And it's only through Jesus that mediation can take place. It's only through him that this can happen. In John chapter 14, verse 6, this is Jesus talking. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus then is the only one who can be the mediator. That is it. This is why you don't come to Pastor Tim with your sins. I can't do anything about them. You come to me with your sins, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to unload some of mine on you. I'll be like, come on, I'm already trying to handle my own. Keep yours to yourself. I can't do anything about it. Now, I can point you to the one who has done something about it. There's one mediator, and his name is Jesus. And then we wonder, well, why can he do it? Why can he be the mediator? What makes him different? Well, there's some big differences between him and you, or him and myself. First and foremost is the Bible tells us that Jesus is fully God, 100% God. In Titan, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was recognized that he is fully God. Actually, in church history, the Chalcedonian Creed, this was in 451, a long time ago, this was settled They said Jesus has two natures. He's God and man. Each nature is full and complete. He is fully God and fully man. Each nature remains distinct. Christ is only one person. Things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. This is something the early church nailed down right away. If you do not believe that Jesus is fully God, then you are not a part of us. You cannot be a Christian without understanding this and without knowing this. And so since Jesus is fully God, catch this, he then is able to represent the Father in mediation. I can't do that because I'm not God. This is why I couldn't go before him and reconcile because I'm not a neutral party. My reconciliation would be, all right, lay out my sins before me. God does that and be like, all right, how about, uh, how about I'm grounded for a week? I mean, ask your kids. Have you ever had to deal with your kids and and punishing your kids? Have you ever asked them the question, what do you think you deserve? They're never going to say what they deserve, ever. They're going to give you some light little thing so that it'll just pass on. They're they're never going to be honest. It's not going to happen. Well, Dad, you know what what you should do? I I think you should whoop me really hard. They're never going to say that. It's not going to happen. Or even worse today, you know what, Dad? Here's my phone. You have it. For a month. I will never hear that or experience that. Why? Because they are not a neutral party. And it's the same with me. I can't go before God and say, I think this is what I deserve. But now God can do that. And that's what's happening here with Jesus. Because he's fully God, he can represent the Father perfectly. Because Jesus, being fully God, is perfectly wise, he's perfectly gracious. He's perfectly loving and perfectly kind. All the attributes of God are his. And so he can mediate and represent the Father. 
Well, you might be saying, well, that's unfair to me. How does he represent me then? If he's fully God, how is he going to represent us? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus, being fully God, is also fully man. Second John 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. This happens still today pretty often. People who do not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, that it was something different. You will still run across this, and you will still hear this actually very often in our day and age. And early on in church history, this was labeled as a heresy. You could not be a Christian if you believed that Jesus wasn't fully man also. We know in John chapter 1, it tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the speaking of Jesus. The Son of God, who always was and always will be, put on flesh and became 100% us, man. And Jesus had to do this. He had to be man in order to mediate on our behalf, to be the mediator. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 15, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so we can't look at Jesus and say, he doesn't understand what I am going through. No, the Bible tells us he 100% understands what you're going through. He 100% came in his man. And so we have to push that thought aside that he doesn't understand me. Oh yeah, but here's the difference between Jesus as a man and you as a man. He did it perfect. You can't, and you know that. I don't care how you're sitting here today. I don't care how you came into this room. I don't care what your mood is or what your emotions are today. You being honest with yourself, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot live this life perfectly. You fail all the time. You struggle all the time. And I'm not talking about you're not very good at math. Or you don't, you don't know how to put a proper sentence together. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about moral things. I'm talking about living according to the law. Go try to do it. Try to not lie this week. Try to not get angry and that anger turn into sin. Go ahead. I, I dare you. Do your best. You're going to come back next week and say, I failed. I lost it. It didn't work out. Of course. Because you cannot live a perfect life. But yet Jesus came as a man with all the frailty that we have, with sickness, with hurt, with everything. And he went through his life perfectly. No sin. No disruption in it. Ever. And so he knows how to sympathize with us completely. And now, as the perfect God-man, he's able to mediate for us. But what's so fascinating is it doesn't just end there, does it? It's not just verse 5. There's also verse 6 there in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because it'd be one thing if he came and he, he lived in this earth. Okay, he's fully God. Okay, I get it. He's fully man. Okay, he lived a perfect life. So what happened? One day he just floated up to heaven? Oh, no. He also ransoms us. 
Look at, look at six. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So you have this perfect Jesus, fully God and fully man. And what does he do? He goes to a cross and dies for you. What you actually deserve. What I actually deserve. When God lays my sin out before me and, he, and I say, okay, what do I got to do to solve this? You need to die. Hmm, well, I can't really do that. Well, that's what you have to do. Okay. Right? You kind of leave like, that's impossible. I can't, I can't cover that for myself. Well, what we see here is our mediator, Jesus, does that for us. He goes to the cross and he dies. We, we see this highlighted in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when Jesus would say, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And now we like to talk about that, about how we should be serving people, and that's great. And a lot of people will take that and run with it and talk about community service, but there's a problem. The sentence isn't over. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is something I can't do. This is something Paul knew he couldn't do. Because if you remember in Romans, in Romans, Paul, Paul would say, if he could give his life for Israel, he would do it. But he knows he can't. He's like, I, I would give it all if I could see them come to know Christ, but I, I can't do it. There are some of you here today as grandparents, you would gladly give your life right now for your grandkids if they would just trust in Christ. If you knew that that's what it would take, if you could run some deal with God and say, if I die right now and you're going to promise me my grandkids will be saved, you'd sign that so fast, wouldn't you? But you can't do it. There's only one, and it's Jesus. Fully God and fully man. It's because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection that you and that I can be bought back by his blood. And that's what we have here with ransom. He, he purchases us back. You see, we've sold ourselves to sin by sinning. We sold ourselves to that slavery that we cannot break the chains of. We had no hope. We had no way out. God sets forth a mediator. His name is Jesus. And we're thinking, this isn't going to play out in our favor. But when we see that everything that we need to do in order to be reconciled to God, in fact, Jesus is going to do for us and has done it for us. I don't have to do anything in it. He has done it for me, and that's what makes this such good news to all people. No matter how you sit here this morning, no matter where you fall on the financial scale of our world, or, or what nation you come from, or, or what language you may speak, or however society views you, it doesn't matter, because the Bible tells us that the invitation for Christ is made to all people, to everybody. That's what he said in verse 4 who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth of him. Why? Because there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. For who? For all. And so this morning, I have the privilege of talking to all of you, however many this may be, and to say to you, this invitation is for you. 
Jesus' blood was spilt for you if you would believe, if you would trust in him as the mediator. I don't have any other invitation to give. I don't have any other offer to lay before you because of what verse 5 says. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. That's the decision that you have to make. There's no other route. There's no other formula. There's, there's no other way to do it. Listen, there's other religions out there that teach us there's other ways to do it. Go to church this often. Drink of this. Eat of this. This will impart grace on you. This will help you. I'm here to say that's not true. There's only one way. And it's not of your doing. It's the man Christ Jesus. And the question that gets left for us this morning is will you trust in him? Will you put all of your hope, all of your trust and all of your faith in the one who is fully God and fully man? Or do you continue to put your hope, your trust and your faith somewhat in him, but also a little on me? Or somewhat in him, but wouldn't it be wiser to not put all my eggs in one basket? Maybe I should put them in some other baskets just in case. Oh, no, 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 that's not the game we can play. We can't play that game. Would, would you allow your spouse to do that? I'm not going to put all my eggs in your basket. I gotta, there might be some others, you know. I mean, at least in my house, that wouldn't fly. No. You're either fully on board with me or you're not. That's... That's what Paul is saying. There is only one. Some might think, well, maybe the mediating role of Christ is over. It's not. In fact, the Bible tells us that at this very moment, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, mediating on your behalf today. As a believer, as one who's been saved by God's grace, I want you to hold on to this. Right now, Jesus is interceding for you in front of the Father. Romans 8, 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. See, when we go out in the world, you're not going to be liked. When you say things like, listen, there's only one way to heaven, it's, it's through Jesus you can't go these other routes. It doesn't work. They're going to look at you and they're going to get angry at you. They're going to say, you're just not compassionate. You're just not kind. You're just not loving. You think you have all the answers. They're going to throw all kinds of things at you. And to be honest, it might be true for some of us at times. Yes, because I'm not perfect. But the fact is, they cannot condemn you. Why? Because Jesus is still mediating on your behalf at the Father. Saying, Father, that's, my, that's ours. That's mine. That's mine. That one's mine and that one's mine. They've been saved by my blood. They, they wear my blood. They, they trust fully in me, not in anything else. And still to this day, Jesus continues to even mediate and open the eyes of the blind. In John 16, verse 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus, in his great kindness to us, we know we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I would leave, there's one better to come. And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? To point us to Christ. That's his job. Again and again and again to continue to remind us of who he is and what he has done. And how his work in the lives of us as believers continues day in and day out. God in his great kindness for us has given us a mediator to mediate perfectly. And it's amazing to think that when we go sit at that table of mediation, you say, well, what do I need to do? And the answer is, Christ has done it all for you. That's the invitation call this morning. Christ has done it all for you. Will you accept that? Will you believe that? Will you trust in that? See, my prayer this week has been that God would melt some hearts this morning to see the truth that it is that easy. Jesus has done it for you. And to pray that God's desire of people to be saved would continue here in this church. People would understand that salvation comes from Jesus and from Jesus alone. For those of us who know that, who our hope is in that, our peace is in that, that we would grip onto him more and more every day knowing that that mediation wasn't just when Tim was seven, but it continues this very moment. That in those times when I'm falling short, right, in those times when I'm sinning, his love is still there for me and he's still interceding for me, saying, Father, I died for that sin too. Yeah, I died for that sin too. I died for that sin too. And the great amazing thing is this. It never runs out. Now Paul would say, do we keep sinning so that grace would abound? By no means. I'm not trying to justify sin. I'm not trying for us to say, let's just go do whatever we want. No, oh no. But I'm trying to remind us of the love of our Savior. That even in the midst of our struggles, our difficulties, and our arrogance, he still loves us. And he still mediates for us day in and day out. Well, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. As we close this morning, we're going to sing a song uh, to close. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God today. Uh, Again, I don't know where you stand with God. Uh, I don't know what you put your hope and your trust in in your life. But I can tell you this. The Bible says there is only one thing to put your hope and trust in. And that is the man Christ Jesus. That is it. There's no other hope. Education can't give it. Money can't give it. Athletics can't give it. Your talent can't give it. Your parents can't give it. There is no hope outside of Jesus. And I would beg of you this morning to place your hope in him and only in him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for what you have done for us. I thank you for Jesus. God, I I seek forgiveness for the times that I fail, which I know is many, many times every day. When I turn to the things of this world instead of you, when I 
turn to myself, thinking I have the answers. God, I thank you that your blood covers all my sin. Not just my past sin, but also my present sin and also my future sin. I thank you that you have shown your loving kindness towards me by pouring out your grace through the blood of Jesus. And God, I pray that this morning there would be at least one that, that would happen to this morning. They would trust in you and you alone, not the things of this world, not some system, but in you. God, help us as believers to cling to Christ day in and day out, to understand that at this very moment, Jesus is there praying on our behalf, mediating on our behalf, interceding on our behalf. God, I thank you for that great gift. God, we love you. Help us to honor you now as we sing this song and help us to respond to your word how we should, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.